0: Hey guys, welcome back. This is Courtside Heat, CourtsideHeat.com. We are back with another podcast episode on this Monday morning after our Sunday special, and we are back. We are still inching day by day to get to the regular season of the NBA. We are still like eighty some odd days away from having a preseason game, so I'm excited about that. Just another day going by that we do not have basketball. But you know what that's okay because through training camp for all these different ports through this entire offseason we can see the importance of all these different train uh, players training if they're whether they're rookies, veterans or just guys making their first few years in the league or they've been here for eight years right whatever it varies. It's very interesting to see past draft classes still in the NBA and still work to improve to get a championship to get to the NBA NBA playoffs. And then teams that want to run back like the Milwaukee Bucks, like the Los Angeles Lakers. But still to me, I'm still waiting for the NBA to come back. Now also, I have football. And football starts back up in two weeks, so at least I'll be able to do something on the weekends sports related right at least I won't have just to sit around and be like, "Well, I have no sports to watch and I don't care to watch the dimebacks just fail right or the mess that the coyotes are in all respect to their organizations they've no interest for me because um. They're a really bad team, and I have no, I have no idea when the last time they were relevant. To be honest, the Diamondbacks probably gave it a push a few years ago, but two thousand one was their best shot, right? Because they won the World Championship. But besides that, we're back with another podcast episode. Um, It was very rare for us to do a Sunday special yesterday, but thank you for everyone that tuned in. It was amazing. We got to break down some interesting topics, a very fun topic about a hypothetical NBA final matchup between the Lakers-Nets or Nets-Warriors. And It was very, very interesting to hear my own response. Here's why, because when you're really breaking down each position, the bench, how they'll play out, the different strengths, the pro, pros and cons, how they contribute, um, how their attributes show on the court, the impact, that all changes. Like when you're breaking it down, you're like, you know what? It's not as cutthroat um, simple. It's really not. So it was very interesting for me to go for all of that because... Oh, excuse me. Because it, 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 I would take the nets over... The Lakers, or I'll take the Warriors over the Nets. But after singing forever, everything, my answers varied a little bit, or just stayed the same. So I highly recommend you guys listening to that podcast episode. It was the one that was shot yesterday, Sunday, and you know why I'm going to include it in the. Uh, I'm going to include the link down below the podcast episode. And without further ado, um, since we did the Sunday special. A majority of our breaking news Besides the one that happened um, Today And then of course After the podcast was over At 8, 9am in the morning So around there uh, We have very little breaking news But I want to talk about The breakout superstars Not superstars But breakout players of 2021 Some names you'll agree with Some names are already doing that but it's going to be very, very interesting on how you guys respond to that and how I'll actually respond to it when breaking it all down by seeing free players. The top three players that are going to break out in this 2021 NBA season are going to be electrifying for their team. Then, of course, we have... The off-season series, which is what the off-season taught us about these two teams, we took a break from that series, especially on the Sunday special, and uh, the past two episodes to talk about more critical topics that are facing the NBA, different franchises like that, that are really affecting them and what they're going to do moving forward. Beyond this season, beyond the next two seasons, this is something that needs to be addressed to like design Williamson's situation in your Orleans, And that, to me, is really important. Whether you are a Zion fan, a Pelicans fan, or just an NBA fan in general, it's it, it's really crazy because it's like 2023. I guess you're restricted for agent, but how much are you willing to offer money And how much does he really want to come back? I think there's a mutual interest here to say, we got money, but we also want to win. But obviously, both sides want to win. I'm not disputing that. But you have not done anything. You actually caused more negativity, more mistakes and upsets in these past three seasons or two seasons coming up on his third season. Then you have good. And it's not good when you have a a former first overall pick of the 2019 NBA draft say, yeah, this isn't going well. Whether he said that publicly or not, still, we're facing. So without further ado, let's just get straight into this podcast episode. We got a lot to talk about. We got some good teams here that I wanted to discuss. I got... Some breaking news I want to go over, and yeah, just different things like that. So without further ado, before we jump into our breaking news segment, let's talk about social media. As I always say, before we get into the meat of our um, content, into the meat of our podcast episode, we have to cover social media. It's essential for you guys to connect with us, to know where we're at, updates, articles that we're publishing on courtsheat.com, our, our main website, and different things like that. And here are the social media links. Here are the top social media links where you can connect with us, see what we're doing, see what we're posting, and it's really, really cool. We're even coming on Instagram with more funny, I guess you would call them memes, memes, um, about the NBA and whatnot. And we've just been torching the um, everlasting... Uh, I guess, shot that we can put into Ben Simmons. We're just torching torching the crud out of him because he has decided to be a drama queen about him and blame about the 76ers. So we're responding by... Doing U S P uh U S P uh U P S memes directing towards him and some of the comments that I've seen on the internet is really really funny about Ben Simmons so I highly suggest you guys checking that out but yeah here we go Twitter.com/slash courtsideheat Instagram.com/slash NBA, Facebook.com/slash courtsideheat tumblr.com slash courtsideheat, Uh, then of course, those are our main social media ones that are without fail being updated daily and every two hours from 11 to 5 or 11 to 7, how you guys want to view it, but we also have courtsideheat.medium.com. Volume medium users, then we have store, or just type in uh, three separate words, on mccari.com or just go to courtsideheat.com slash shop. You'll be able to find all of our products there and some new ones that we are continually adding, continuously adding, right? So yeah, without further ado, and you already know about the main website, and then, uh, com. then in the, um, in the links below, in the description below, on the podcast that you're listening to, um, whether that be SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcast, we have our exclusive, I, our exclusive membership, which will give out exclusive newsletters, exclusive articles every single week, and different things like that, that will get you prepared for this NBA season. For and throughout this off season, And yeah, it is really, really exciting. Cheap money, it only costs about $3 per month. And you have a free day trial. You have a free, the number free, T-H-R-E-E, day trial. So, I would highly suggest you getting signed up. Everyone that has signed up absolutely loves it. And I believe you will too. So, without further ado, let's get into the breaking news. And this, like I said, is going to be a very short breaking news. Why? Because we mostly covered that on yesterday's special, on this Sunday special. So, the breaking news, it would be featuring Nick Van Axel and the Atlanta Hawks. I broke it down on Twitter, I reported it, and it stated that the Hawks have hired... Nick's, Nick Van Axel as their new assistant head coach. He's replacing their old one and adding another player-turned-coach to that team. The main one would be Nate McMillan, who is Atlanta's head coach right now. To me, this is a good signing. Like, this is a signing I really do like because... Whether you're a fan of Nick Van, Nick Van Axel, you've seen him play before, you haven't, he is a good player, and I believe he can coach those teams very, very well, because um, those players on that team, on the Atlanta Hawks, are very coachable, especially John Collins, um, Trey Young, Clint Capella, all those different guys, right? They're very coachable, Cam Reddish, but they're all very coachable, and they're ready to learn, and they're ready to get better, which, for an organization, that is huge news. And to have another player turned coach, whether that be head coach or your top assistant coach, that to me is huge because now you're able to relate better to the players because you're like, these are the mistakes I made, this is what I had to go for to get better. This is what the consequences were when I failed, or when something went awry, on my teammates and, especially, on my end. Right. So having that personal connection, knowing where these guys are coming from, especially at such a young age, they don't have all the answers, but you do as a older, as a older retired NBA player for all the experiences, whether positive, negative, or neutral. So that is huge. Having that personal connection on the basketball court and off the basketball court is huge, especially when you're a player or a former player just like, yeah, he gets it. This guy gets where I'm coming from. That is such a huge advantage. Plus, Naaman Mellon and Nick Van Axel are really good basketball players. So to have them on your coaching staff, to have them on your on your um, organization, that is huge, and I really do like what the Hawks did there. A massive change, if I may say, from Naaman Millen being assistant head coach to interim head coach to full head coach. Right, replacing former head coach now um, turned assistant coach. Oh, I forgot what team he is, but. Lloyd Pierce, that was a disaster, but now it seems like the Hawks are finally figuring out this team. The front office is saying this is what we have to do to be successful, and it paid off last season. It really, really did. So to me, signing or hiring Nick Van Axel, huge deal. I like that, and it just adds another great voice in that locker room, especially coming from the coaching side. So, yeah, I like that. I really, really do like that. Um, okay, we're 13 minutes into this. I thought it was going to take a little longer, but you know what? Um, that is all the breaking news. <laughs> yeah. So, I, I was putting together this podcast episode, um, yesterday, night, and today, and I was like, you know what? We're going to have so much breaking news. I'm going to break this all down. It's going to be amazing. I get on to all of the sources. I've went on different websites and everything, and nothing. Twitter was silent. ESPN was silent. Uh, NBA Real Jam was silent. CBS Sports was silent. Um, Yahoo Sports was silent. Everything was silent. Even all of the reporters on the NBA side, like Woj, like Mark Stein, like all these different guys. Um, nothing quiet, unless I missed something. <laughs> so, that was the only breaking news. That is really hard for me to actually process because I'm like, really? The only thing, this this beautiful Monday, this beautiful Monday morning, and this is the only thing I'm able to break on? But you know what? That's why I made the decision to say, you know what? Let's also talk about breakout players because people want to see... Hyped up about want to get hyped up about their favorite player or a player that people are familiar with in this league that may be down on them but maybe could uh, change their mind after today's podcast or after what they've been hearing online and from family and friends, right? And if you're from Ohio and you hear just someone's name on this list, you're like, Yeah, we need him to be a breakout player, bad. If not, we're not going to be a good organization, right? It's like one of those things. Um, but yeah, let's jump right into that as, yeah, nothing's holding us back. That was all for breaking news. I saw it was going to be like, maybe hey, like two to three things. But you know what? If it's a shorter podcast episode, it's a shorter podcast episode. But we all know this. The meat of the uh, podcast is Typically does not rely on the breaking news, but the other stuff like the um, extra topics like what did the offseason teach us about these two teams and then of course the breakout players. That is all significant. And that is stuff as an NBA fan and as somebody that's trying to understand the NBA deeper. That is critical to understand where teams at and where players are at. So without further ado. Let's jump right into this one. Okay, breakout players of the twenty twenty one NBA season. Uh, here are my three. I'm gonna break this one down player by player. It goes. Um, this is no in particular order. A uh, Darius Garland, Lamelo Ball, and Cameron Johnson, and. Uh, I know what people are singing. I knew when I put Lamelo Ball down. People are like, "How how could it be a breakout player? He was great his first season." But here's how I how how here's how I view a breakout player, and where Lamelo Ball's at, why he's on that list. A, his season was truly cut short due to a ah uh, was a fractured wrist. It had to go under. It had to undergo wrist surgery right and he came back for a playing tournament before getting crushed by the Pacers so it was like one of those things to where you got crushed by the Pacers and then you got crushed by the Warriors I believe if that's how their two game series went um, in the playing tournament but it's like the LaMel ball that was just a stepping stone that was just something that first season was just getting his feet wet about what the NBA has to offer, what he needs to offer, and how he actually looks being the third overall pick. And I'm trying to pull up his stats right now, and I kinda know that he scored 15 points a game, right? But for his first season, he did not do too poorly. He was he scored 15 points and six rebounds and six assists per game. That's not bad. As a 19-year-old coming into this league. Didn't go to college. Going into the NBL. And just trying to make it. And of course you have hyped up for your reality TV show. Everybody excited to see. What Ovar was hyping up right in his, his talent that he brought. But having that first. In 28, 28 minutes. That's not bad. And whether he. It it always seemed like he had bad games and with inconsistency, with um, with his shooting. However, what I will say is he's a dynamic uh, how I want He's a dynamic playmaker. He has incredible passing skills. Whether you watch games of him, a singular game, or you watch highlight reels of him, just highlight videos of Battle Mill Ball. His passing's on point and it is very quick because it's funny. He almost has like that mentality to where he knows there's someone open, but he'll make it as flashy as possible, but very quick and deadly. Like he'll attack you with the basket, he can do that. You have to guard him. But he also has the whereabouts, has the awareness, the knowledge to say he's open, or I can fit this in a tight spot, which he's done. He's thrown things half court, full court, or just like within a few feet of each other. So he's very crafty, and to me, the reason why he's gonna be a breakout player, even if he's um not as much, not very healthy. Let's say he suffers an injury or two. And this is an 82-game season. So, for him, he has to adjust to this 82-game season. It's not going to be a condensed season. It's not going to be the season where everything's rapid, rushed, right? So, for that, that is very important. That is crucial. So, the reason why I have him as as a breakout player for 2021 is because I think he can do more. I know he can do more because if he could just keep on working, keep on perfecting his craft on his shooting, being less inconsistent, be less um, dangerous, reckless with his shooting, try to make the, all the free pointers he, I believe he can be a dangerous, dangerous weapon, because coming, he's 20, 21 years old, somewhere around there, look. During that entire season, if he can be a great shooter, like a good shooter on that team with his uh, a, a phenomenal passing skills, come on, i I that would be really good. Plus, he's a good defender, too. If he can get down that shooting, he's a breakout player. Imagine him averaging 20-23 points per game, 6-10 to 10 assists per game, and a few rebounds per game. And he like one or two assists per game. Just going crazy with some of those uh, random statistics at the end. But just imagine, and I believe he can average 10 assists per game while putting up 20 points somewhere around there, right? I think he could. If he wanted to, he could. And they have the weapons. They have the offensive talent. They have those guys. They've been making moves. So, for a ball, he acts as a shooting guard, point guard, which is huge. He can hit you hard with a, um, with a pass or with a shot. And most likely, most likely, he'll connect with the target. He'll connect the basket. He'll connect. And to me, I think he can go further. Because that's not all. That's just his first season. That's just him trying to get acclimated to the big boy leagues. To get him acclimating to the season of eighty-two games, a season of a healthier squad, because when it's all said and done, when it's all broken, and we really look at Mel Ball, if he worked on his shooting and he truly gets better, is more consistent. Like let's say he gets like twenty percent better from shooting, I would so, I would so say he's a breakout player because he's improved on his craft. Um, kept hammering with his skills and talent. And and he's able to double or at least improve on statistics. Oh, uh, come on. I kind of like that. Because he has weapons around him. He has offensive talent. He has defensive talent around him. He has good players around him. Like Gordon Hayward. Terry Ruggier. Miles Bridges. Kelly Oubre. P.J. Washington. Um, Cody Martin's not bad. He's not a bad player. Just different guys like that. Then he's got James Booknight. Knight. That's not bad. So, you guys have rookies coming here, too. They also have to prove themselves. But if Hayward can stay healthy, then to me, the small forward can do a lot. The forward can do. Like he could be productive, he could pass it, he can shoot it. And to me, you got a mixed team of not only just pure shooters but they can do rebounding, they can do shooting, they can do passing, they can do all the little stuff, the big stuff, to really improve a team during each game to advance them a win, to advance them to the next game, to play as one unit, to play as teammates would, right? So to me, that's a benefit that the Hornets have, because it's not just pure shooters. They all have different skills that mesh together, Right, because one may be a defensive player more than an offensive player. Well, that can help, um, let's just say, Kelly Oubre. Or let's just say, James Booknight. Right, it can help all those different talents, all those different skills. Can really improve. Can really help a team win. That sort of impact as a team, on team level, is so significant. It's not even funny. So, to me... If Lamelo Ball gets more consistent and his uh, shooting gets a little more comfortable uh, where his shooting range is, and he's being a more practical, being more uh, strategic with his shooting, with, with all the freeze he's taking, and he's able to play a little more physical, oh man, that's gonna be amazing. He's gonna be a breakout player because to me, we're only he's only scratching at the surface. He's just getting there. He's just he's just trying to figure out his footing now. That was just his first of four years on his NBA rookie contract. So we're not looking at a he's not in his second year, he's on his third year going to his fourth year of the contract. No. This is his second season. So to already be a breakout player, in my in my standards, in my opinion, that is a heck of a thing and a huge accomplishment. Because, I'm telling you, if he understands his shooting, if he gets better at shooting, more consistent, and he still has that dynamic, fast-paced passing, and he's able to set the court better, he's able to get everybody lined up where they should be, oh boy, that, that's going to be something. From all the little skills he has to the biggest skills he has, if he just perfects them during his career and during this season going on, that is gonna be amazing. So I'm gonna put him down between 20 to 23 points, six to ten assists per game, and like four to five rebounds per game. And for the fun of it, I'll do like one to three steals per game. Not to make it all range based, but I truly do believe he's gonna hit a good high higher ceilings. He's gonna hit higher goals. And just in um uh team's records, how they play as one, how they're improving on and off the court in the locker room during training, whatnot, and you see stats bump up. He was working a year, but he's just going to keep on getting better. And I hope this all makes sense because I truly do believe I was not the biggest fan of Lamella Ball, but here's what I will say about him he's a, f- a phenomenal play, uh, playmaker. He has those abilities. And for being in year two after uh, winning Rookie of the Year, after winning that award, my oh my. I'm just just saying, sky's the limit for him. And I don't think he's ever going to slow down. Because it's not like we're talking about a player that's in their prime right now or closing in on their prime that's going to be a breakout player. No, he's only in year two. When this NBA season starts, he's going to be in year two. So to me, that is significant. And that's really huge. So people may be surprised that I'm putting LaMille Ball... On my top three list of breakout stars. Because people may not be expecting that this season. Or already been feeling that within the first season. But I truly do believe he's going to have a breakout season. And people are going to be taking more note of him. Are going to be taking more interest in him. And saying. And teams going to be saying. You know what? We can't mess with him. Because he's going to burn us. Because he, he has a spot up game. He could pull up a shot if he wants to. He has great dribbling. He has ball handling skills for days. That what makes him such a quick passer, such a quick uh, player, because he has lateral quickness, and he just has speed. And he just uses that to his advantage. So if he's slashing to the basket, he's able to dish it off, and he has strength, and he has awareness, and he has that basketball IQ. And it's only at 20 years old. He's only 20 years old right now. And that, to me, is very, very significant and very, very impressive. So that's mine. That's my first. Um, that's my first player free that's going to be on the breakout list. Number two, Cameron Johnson of the Phoenix Suns. Look, look people, um, it was undoubtedly true. That in his draft class, he was one of the best shooters, if not the best. Cameron Johnson really balled out all coming off the bench for the Phoenix on his last season when they needed him. He stepped up in the postseason. He stepped up in the regular season. He gelled with that team. He took up his bench role. He took up his role and made it something better. He defined it. He made it more impactful. He showed to Tina he can ball out uh, since being the 11th overall pick in the 2019 NBA Draft. He's 25 years old. He's been in this league for uh, two seasons now. How long has he been here? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look. Yeah, two seasons. He's, he's 25 right now. He's heading to his third season. He's a good basketball player, and Pierre, i taking note now, I think for him to be a breakout player, statistically, and just impacting the game, looking besides numbers, I think he's going to be one of those players, because I think what's going to happen is more and more people are taking note of him, which is leading to him saying, look, I'm getting all this recognition, but that, that matters. But I have to win games, and I have to take up my uh, 20 to 24 minutes per game and just say, you know what, I got to do this, Craig. I got to take my 24 minutes and mean it something. Because he's getting, he's a bench player, in essence, but becoming a starter-like with minutes. And that, to me, is huge because Jay Crowder who's the power forward, who's getting older in the NBA, who's an amazing veteran, who can shoot, spot up, freeze, jump shot, freeze, uh, is able to rely upon Cameron Johnson, right? Cameron says, okay, you can come out. I can be electrifying. I can do these things that I'm tasked to do. I'm not going to be a ball hog. I'm going to give my fair share when it's time. And he's very very patient with the ball. He knows when to strike and when not to strike. And he does that so many times. Away away in home games, he does it all. He, he does it every single time. When he's just lurking around the court without the ball, he can move without the ball, he can move with the ball. And that is a great thing. That is a really, really good thing. And to me, for him to be a breakout player, um, statistically, um, looking at the stats, I like for him to score some more. I like for him to come a little more consistent. He averaged, he shot for 42% per game and 34% from the free. I would like to see those numbers rise up. Um, field percentage, I like to see like around 46%, 48%, and for three-pointers, 40%. Because to me, at least, I'm seeing improvement. And I also like to see improvement on field goal, uh, field, uh, sorry, my apologies, free throws. Right now, he's shooting 84%, but you want to know the great part? His first season, he shot 80% from the line, now he's shooting 84% from the line. I'm telling you, free throws and everything, that is an easy shot. That's free shots. That's free points right there. And as a good basketball player, as a basketball player in the National Basketball Association, you have to be able to hit those shots when players, opponents are fouling on you or just getting themselves in foul trouble and you're making them pay for. It. So if, you can, if I can see those things rise up to like 88 to 90%, to me that's a victory because because that, that's showing the Phoenix Suns that the little stuff, you're working on the little stuff, uh, increment up to the big stuff. And to me, that is important. And Cameron Johnson last season arguably could have had his breakout season. But I, I don't, I would argue the opposition of that opposite, the opposite side of that. Here's how I view it. I view it as this. He he got more recognition last season because he was breaking the surface. He was scratching at the surface with his playmaking abilities, with his shot creating abilities, and able to take good shots, good timed out shots with his patience. And he likes to drive it. And we saw that in the postseason too. The Phoenix Suns got more <laughs> sorry, excuse me, more recognition because they were making the postseason. Because they were the second seed in the Western Conference of the NBA, so make no mistake, his first season he didn't do bad. He improved on it. But he but he certainly was bad. Then second season comes in, and the Suns have this massive turnaround, riding from the momentum off the a no bubble streak before the new uh, Brooklyn Nets cost them. Uh, spot, but in the post, but I actually believe it's beneficial because you didn't have to rush anything. Then money Williams got to work with uh, Cameron Johnson some more, or the players got to collaborate some more. But you want to know something amazing? Jay Crowder. Ever since Jay Crowder came in, Cameron Johnson got better. That veteran leadership, that's veteran awareness of saying, I can help you get better. This is how you can get better. And they're just working on his pros and cons. And to have a player like that. That's been in all that tasty NBA Finals before. But never won anything. Just tasting victory and defeat. That is a good thing. That is a huge thing. And I think it made all the difference. So the Suns got more recognition. And Drake and Jay Crowder helped out Cameron Johnson significantly. And to me. That's huge when you're able to have a veteran that's impactful for a 24, 25-year-old now. Because here's how I'm looking at it. I, I believe Cameron Johnson can be a breakout player coming off the bench. I believe he can score 12 points a game, have... Four, uh, have at least two assists per game and four rebounds. Because he likes to go inside the paint. He likes to take those shots up. He likes his lifts. He likes his mid-range jumpers. He likes taking those spot-up threes. He likes creating his own shot. That's what I saw from last season. If I'm wrong, um, then I'm wrong. But that's what I see out of him. However, what I see out of Cameron Johnson is this. He's going to be a breakout player because if he just keeps on improving, statistically, it just impacts him on the court. if it shows from the coaching staff to the players, to the entire organization, right, to the media, to everyone in the NBA, it's going to show. If you're doing the correct stuff, it's aligning with what the Phoenix Suns want your productivity to be, your impactfulness on the court to be. I'm telling you. That's a dangerous thing to play around with. And if he exceeds with that, if he exceeds expectations with those game-changing developments, that's that's going to be it. Now, one of the things I'm going to say, and no one get weird about this. So, no one get weird about this. But my father and I are talking. It's the postseason. Cameron Johnson wants to be physical. But what's the one thing every physical player uh, needs. They need muscle. And the best thing my father said was that he needs a man body. That he needs to grow into that with his height. They he needs to add weight. He needs to add muscle. He needs to add strength to compete with the big boy so he's not getting knocked around anywhere. Because he's not bad right now. But if he's able to get more muscle, able to get more strength in his body and stand his ground, that will exceed the way he shoots. That will change the way he drives to the basket. Draws fouls. Takes takes defensive hits. Takes a charge. Like, my goodness, that would change his game. So, also, if he works down and with his body, his dieting, his training, different things like that. That's going to be a heck of a thing. And that's going to be one of the massive changes to the to the Phoenix Suns, and to Cameron Johnson. Many people may not think that's going to be massive, but Cameron Johnson to say, look, I'm building muscle. I'm I'm getting stronger. I'm coming off the bench with 20 to 24 minutes per game, and I'm able to be productive with just all this added athleticism and strength and power and just showcasing it for my franchise, for my city, and then for the NBA nationally, that is huge. And that would translate. Because the thing that I love, when the Phoenix Suns bench comes in, the second unit comes in for the first unit, the starting five won't have to worry about anything. Or if Jay Crowder needs to sub out, come out for a break, needs to take a few water uh, sips, needs to catch his breath, they can rely on Cameron Johnson, but if he grows that physicality, grows that strength, I'm telling you, that's gonna change the way the Suns view him, and that changes the way that he views himself and the league views himself. And that's one of the ways he can become a breakout star, um, not a star, but like a breakout player. Because out of the top three list, if you, if you can hang with the big dogs and actually keep it going like that. That's going to be a heck of a thing because I don't know if anybody ever saw a photo of Cameron Johnson, but he definitely needs that because if he gets muscle and if it translates onto the core, I'm telling you, that's going to be something scary. That's going to be something scary for sure, especially if you're adding more muscle, more strength, and you're able to accelerate that power and more speed, the way that you block somebody down the post in the paint, just someone trying to back their way into the basket, to score off, score back in the basket. I'm telling you, that's going to be exciting to see, and I actually believe we can see that. And that would be, and if he makes that leap, and if he gets more strong in his stance, in the way he plays offensive defense, to me, that's going to allow him to be a breakout player. It's Now, help the Phoenix Suns 100% of the time and all of the time because they realize that and that's why they want to make sure that they're giving everyone the opportunity to do it because the spotlight was on the Phoenix Suns. Everyone was talking about the Phoenix Suns. Then for Cameron Johnson the postseason to ball out when he had those chances and he was able to make it thrilling, especially in the NBA Finals when the Suns were down and they were trying to rally back in and Cameron Johnson was making... Up and under layups freeze everything come on that's really good i really like to see that now add some strength add some more power quickness to that have more agility lateral quickness everything jumping capabilities my goodness my oh my i would love to see that and that is no exaggeration that's not me hyping them up but what i saw of them in the postseason is why I'm having him as a breakout player for the 2021 year. For the 2021 NBA season. And that's just no joke. And I, I want to know your you guys feeling on that. Because I don't know. I, I've always been a Cameron Johnson guy since he came into the league. Since we got him. I don't know. I thought it was good. I thought he was one of the best shooters. If not the best shooter in the 2019 NBA class. Because we can talk about different guys. But... One of the best straight-up shooters, one of the best pure shooters, probably was going to be Cameron Johnson, but you do have to go compete up against the likes of Luka Doncic and different guys like that, but to me, he was like one of the best shooters, if not the best pure shooter in that draft. And that's just me personally, because I don't think Zion Williams was there for the shooting. He's more of a dunk man. He's more of a hot reel, right? But we'll talk about that later, right? But yeah, that to me, that's going to be a breakout player. He may not be the most significant in the eyes of the media, in the eyes of the league. But I'm telling you, he's going to be a role. He's going to be an X factor, if you will. Factor into the Phoenix Suns way back to a championship. Back to the NBA Finals. Just back to the postseason, Joe, and just the winning. Because I'm telling you, That all adds up and that all translates when one of your players gets better. When they're pulling that time and the Suns have those assets. They have their playoff contending roster back and they're not going to try to seize that moment away. So every single improvement from every single guy helps and to me... I think Cameron Johnson's doing a great thing. I can't wait to see him in preseason and, of course, regular season. Finally, with our last guy, and this will probably become a shocker to you guys unless you're a Cleveland Ohio fans really want to see something out of him and really are not shocked by this, but it is Darius Garland. Darius Garland, the point guard. Of uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers, this goes beyond statistics. This goes beyond the stats that he's able to put up because he needs to get more consistent, more comfortable in his passing role, in his shooting role, and the role that's been given to him by the Cavaliers because there is Garlanders not Bad as things go, but there's room for improvement. There's a lot of room. And he's only 21 years old. He went in the 2019 NBA draft. And it's really crazy when you bring it down a separate side note that a majority of the parts that we talk about, a lot of parts that are over the radar, under the radar, or right on the radar, comes from the 2019 NBA draft class. And oh wait, um, mm, oh wait a minute, never mind. Wait, oh, I messed up, and I apologize. Earlier, twenty eighteen draft class was with Luka Doncic and Trey Young, not 2019. Zion, John Moran, Archie Barrett were was in there. Yeah, never mind, never mind. I know why I was getting so confused. Now I'm gonna double check that, but yeah. But you, but here for me, Darius Garland goes beyond the points. Because twenty nineteen he had twelve points, one rebound, free assist, but also in twenty twenty he averaged twelve uh, seventeen points, two rebounds, and six assists. So he doubled his minus points, went up five percent, a field goal percentage to forty five percent, and went up in minutes. But now, how will he adjust to a entire, uh, eighty two game series, and if they make the playing tournament? Or if they make it to the hardcore playoffs. Or that's going to be signed into But I think he can be a breakout player. I think he can be the player that he was meant to be with the fifth overall pick. And people forget about Darius Garland. Just because that... Cleveland was really not anything, was not getting any media buzz in 2018, they were lacking in the records, lacking in the team, had all this drama, had all of this negativity around them, and no one really wanted to keep bubble for them, and they are a lackluster team, to say the least. But, here's how I'm looking at everything. I think Garland can be that, especially the of Ricky Rubio. That, to me, was designed to get him the backup point guard. To ensure that he's able to play at a good level, at a consistent level, at an improving level, at an impacting level. Because Garland here needs that assistance. Needs that buddy over there to say, look, you're doing this wrong. Good job, you're doing this right. And that to me is Ricky Rubio. And I think Ricky Rubio, who has all the experience in the world that can be teachable to old Garland can say look this is why I need to teach and this is how you need to get better so to have that connection to have that mentor role for Garland who's only 21 years old who's been coming who's going to be coming into his third season to me I think it's time I think he can be so dynamic with his passing with his abilities with his playmaking abilities I think he also needs to get better defensively. But I think with Ricky Rubio, he could be taught that. He, I think he just needs to get more consistent in his shooting, in his passing, and how he actually views the court. And how the uh, Cavaliers want to utilize him, right, the entire roster. Because the Cavaliers are making moves. They made moves, and they're continuing to improve. That team wants to be back in the playoffs. Have not been back in the playoffs since, like, what was it, like, Twenty eighteen or something like that, twenty seventeen yeah, something like that, but I'm just I'm just saying, it's very interesting when all broken down because Garland is gonna go under the radar. He needs to improve. He's a playmaker, but that is what the Cavaliers drafted. They wanted a the playmaker. They wanted somebody that could take over the passing role for Colin Sexton for all these different guys. They need to build around because Kyrie wasn't there anymore. O'Bron wasn't there anymore. And Kevin Love, he's not a passer. He's not one of those passing guys, right? He's a center. He's power forward. And that's what Guard needs to work on. But if he works it out and he becomes a stud for that team, going by team projections here, that's going to be a breakout star because you never know. He could become a really good point guard or a decent to good point guard that a team can utilize. He bumps up in stats but also having a more lasting role in that team that leads to impactful games and wins. Uh, thanks to Garland, right? So I actually believe that can happen and if that happens, that will be able to create more shots for Sexton, for Glove, for uh, oh, what's his name? Oh, I, was just thinking, I was just thinking of him. He was the third overall pick in this past year's draft. Um, uh, Evan. Oh, who was it? Oh, Evan Mobley. Then you got Jared Allen. Then, of course, Ricky Rubio under his guidance. Just different guys like Larry Nance. Different guys like that. So the Cavs made really good moves. Got really bad players and re signed to sign good players and traded for good players. So to me. This is what we're looking at, and I think they can be an impacting player. And I think that can happen. I think you really can. And to me, that concludes our list. Garland's just gonna have to step it up from Ricky Rubio. Rubio, not to put put not to put more pressure on Rubio or point that out, has to teach Garland a lot during this season, during his contract tenure, because if he's able to improve beyond stats. Instead of I don't care what the statistics say, but what Garland's is able to accomplish on the on the court, to me that's gonna be huge, to, and to me that's gonna be something worth watching. If the Cavaliers get better, or even if they're having off games, go see what Garland's doing with that team, with Sexton, with Mobley, with Rubio, with Love, with all of those different guys. But yeah, it's gonna be very interesting. It is going to be very, very interesting. But that is that. And that is the breakout players of 2021. Those are top three guys. It was Amal Ball, uh, Cameron Johnson, and lastly, Darius Garland. Now, um, the offseason. Now, our final topic of the day Features these two teams coming up and it's what the offseason taught us about these two teams, which is the Atlanta Hawks and the Brooklyn Nets. We talked about in the short breaking news segment about the Hawks um hiring Nick Van Axel to be their top assistant head coach. Now let's see what the offseason taught us through the Atlanta Hawks. I'm going to and I'm going to go with the guys that that were in, that stayed with the Hawks, and guys that were out. And I'm going to keep the guys out of the draft, just because it's not fair to do that yet, because we really can't compare them anything, or we just can't even compare them in general. So here we go. Here are the guys that were either traded or signed. DeLon Wright, uh, Ding, Hamilton, oh. Uh, uh, Johnny Hamilton, and then here are the guys that were out Tony Snell, Chris Dunn, Bruno Fernando, Nathan Knight, and then also here are the guys that were re signed and then who were extended John Collins, Lou Williams, Solomon Hill, Skylar Mays, and then Trey, uh, Trey Young was extended. So, basically, Atlanta brought back the same roster that made a good, really interesting run to the conference finals last season. Ever since Louis Pierce exited from the team, they got fired. And they brought in David Millen, who was the assistant head coach, the interim head coach. To me, they added added a couple promising rookies. I'm not going to talk on that. Not gonna talk on that because why would I? I didn't want to talk about the draft. I just want to talk about free trades, resigns, signings, all that goes right. Now they locked up Young and Collins. I'm not a big fan of Collins. I think he can improve significantly. I think he can. I think he will. I think he becomes something good right next to Trey Young. But locking up Trey Young and Colin Williams for 2026 and 2027 were really really good. Trey Young need to be locked up. He's their franchise superstar. That's who they trade for. And that's why they traded uh, Luka Doncic and um, Luka Doncic for Trey Young. Because they wanted Trey Young. Because they liked what they saw Trey Young when trading for him during the draft. So to me, that's huge. We already knew John Collins and Trey Young were going to get re-signed. But who remembers Chris Dunn? The guy that only averaged a point in his career. Pretty young, he got traded, but we, don't, we have to look at Dion Wright when he got traded from Chicago. This is why it's so important. This is why it's so important. Legitimacy in backups are something so key a team needs. We can make fun of a guy that just gets, being out to be a backup or has to be a backup, but the value that a team sees within that player is so significant when a backup. Why? Um, for the Atlanta Hawks, Trey Young needed a legitimate backup. That's what the Hawks needed. Chris Dunn was a failure when he got drafted. He got hyped up way too much, and Chris Dunn has failed very, very poorly. And they saw it was going to be something. Um, and he was drafted with the fifth overall pick in 2016 NBA draft. Poor, poor decision made by Minnesota. That's why it only lasted this season. And then you, you go down to Chicago, and everything just goes down after to score 30 points career high. so I was going to have a promise. But when you only play four games for Atlanta in 2020 season, injuries, everything, right? Only score point eight percent from the field, one rebound and half of assist. That's bad. That's not a legitimate backup for Um Trey Young. Because when Trey Young was down and they had to bring it done, just saying, he fell on the court. You couldn't. He was not gonna be the guy that you could depend upon for Young to take a breather which caused great distress within that organization. And they're like, well, we have to give them some breaks, and they're making trying to make some moves, trying to see if it would be a legitimate backup for Trey Young. And now swapping Dunn for Wright gave Collins, I'm sorry, Young, a legitimate backup. That is something the Atlanta Hawks needed desperately, and that is just non-negotiable. And here's the thing. By by adding a backup guard, backup to Trey Young, you're not looking at yourself saying, look, we got right over the bad players. Tony Snell was not good, Curtis Dow was not good, Fernando was not good, and Knight was not good. And signing Hamilton was just a bench. Ding was just a bench. But Wright was also a bench. But Wright's the most appealing of them all. Why? He's able to bring legitimacy to the backup position of Trey Young. The Hawks were able to were able to do their job by re-signing um, Trey Young and John Collins. That is huge, and then of course, you bring in Solomon Hill, Lou Williams, who were um, who were um, oh, I'm sorry, who were also re signing Lou Williams, who was great in a few games during the postseason when the team needed it. Win- Trey Young was out, he went off for outrageous games. And Solomon Hill is not a bad player on the bench, right? But also they're not done. DeAndre Hunter is also gonna be a guy that could be re signed. You have then you have another hunter. You have the other hunter that could be re signed. And to me, if it, no, I'm sorry, Kevin Herter, Kevin Herter. But you have Trey Young, Kevin Herter, Bogdanovic. John Collins and Clint Capella. Then on your bench, you have Cam Reddish, uh, Lou Williams, DeAndre Hunter, Jalen Johnson, um, Oyanek Oko, uh, Oco- sorry, I cannot pronounce your last name, and Dion Wright. I'm telling you, he's 29 years old. He's been here since 2015. He's been playing playing with a lot of teams, yes, but he's been solid to the point now where he's been averaging uh, seven points in his career. But the past two seasons, one with Sacramento, which was the latest, and then of course Detroit was also the latest in 2020 before getting traded both in that 2020 season, he averaged 10 points for both teams each night. I'm telling you, that's significant. That's a guy who go out there, get you a few assists, get you a few rebounds, and 10 to 12 points per game. Most likely 10 solid points per game. Which is amazing for uh, for Young. Just take a breather in the organization that's not distressed about finding legitimacy to find a good player, a supporting player behind um, Trey Young. I can't tell you how significant that really is because... The Hawks, what the offseason taught was this. They prioritized John Collins, got that done. Prioritized Trey Young, franchise player, got it done. They prioritized the legitimacy of bench players by getting a supporting, the good um, bench player, a backup to Trey Young, done, as in Dion Wright. Or then you got other um, bench players. To support that team when they need it. To add firepower on the front end and to add loading support on the back end. That is huge. And then you got ready guys like Chris Dunn, worthless. Tony Snell, worthless. Bruno Fernando, Bruno Fernando, worthless. Nathan Knight, worthless. To me, that is such a huge, huge thing. And to me, the Hawks played their cards right. They made sure they used like trades, they used like signings, they utilized extensions, resigns, they used everything. And they even were doing things on the front office end, like with, ex- with giving a contract to make Nate McMillan their official head coach. Then signing Nick Van Axel, then getting different guys in for the permanent coaching staff of Nate McMillan. So to me, this team has proven on the offseason that their front office knows what they're doing, that they have knowledge behind everything, and they're not going to waste their opportunities. They're not even done yet. Herder could be advancing in contract talks. Uh, Hunter could be um, something for the Hawks that they want re- to negotiate a new contract with. You just never know where their priorities wrap, at, but they got the main one straight. They got the supporting, they got the duo of John Collins and Trey Young together. The supporter being John Collins and the franchise star being Trey Young. And they were highlighted as an unexpected team to make the postseason and go as deep as they did. And they they did a good job drafting too. To me, Jalen Johnson was something that was a good pick for the Hawks. To me, that was huge. Like, huge for the Hawks. Like, well, So, what did the offseason teach us about the Hawks? I'm going to recap. They prioritize smartly. They strategize correctly. And they value the bench. That is huge. A team that values the bench the correct way. And is able to strategize it the correct way. Knows what they're doing as a front office. And knows how to value that team to give support when needed to make sure things are right, to make things corrected. Uh, that, that is huge. I don't know how many times I've used the word huge or used the two words to me. I have no idea how many times I've used those words. But, again, with all of that being said, We can say yes. This was amazing. The Hawks did sing correct things correctly. That is one hundred percent true. And they kept the roster that took them to the dance, and then they added, prioritized the bench. I can't tell you a team that looks out for a need and capitalizes it the smart way and the correct way. I just can't tell you how many teams actually do that. Because I could bring up the Timberwolves, the Kings, and teams back in the past who just could not do that correctly. And even teams now could not do it correctly. Like the Brooklyn Nets, they do not have a good bench. But I'll I'll get to them in a little bit. But yeah, I, I just find it very interesting and very awesome about it. And with all of that being said, if we had to give a number about the Hawks, uh, how they performed in this offseason, I would have to say I will give them a solid A+. Plus. And I would give them a 9.5 to a 10. I found no errors, so probably a 10. So yeah, that is where I'm standing. That is where I'm at. Because the Hawks showed they didn't know how to run that franchise correctly in the offseason. And they knew what they had to prioritize. They knew what they had to capitalize. It's plain and simple as that. And it was truly incredible to see. And with that being said, we're going to go on to our final. Our second and final team, which would be the Brooklyn Nets. And we talked about, and we broke down the positions last night on our Sunday special about how they could fare in the NBA Finals. And here we go. Um, they made a lot of uh, moves. I'm going to exclude all the ones that were drafted, but we're going to go see who's in, who's out, and who was re signed, who was given contract extensions. Ready? Who was in? Uh, Patty Mills, Javon Carter, James Johnson, uh, DeAndre Bembry, Raquan Gray, and David Duke Jr. Who was out with Spencer Deadwitty, Jeff Green, Landis Shaman, and Chris Chazia Ch- uh, I'm sorry, I cannot pronounce your last name, but you know who you are. Then re-signed was Bruce Brown and Blake Griffin. Then extended was Kevin Durant. Now, let me say, the extensions are not done. They are trying to re-sign everyone. They're big free. They're trying to get Kyrie under contract for an extended amount of time. They're trying to get um, James Harden. They're trying to get everyone. So, they're not done yet. So, they're not done yet. But already, when I'm looking at it, I've told you how much of a weak bench the Nets have. They don't have a strong bench. Patty Mills will be an addition. That's good. Uh Javon Carter is gonna be a good addition to that bench. I think he'll see more minutes with the Nets than he did with the Suns. And I think he'll be utilized differently for sure. But now the one thing that I do hate was the fact that Spencer did what he was like. go. Oh. I, I didn't mind Spencer doing anyway. what I said he was good in the role that he was brought up to be in. But overall, the Nets went to town on making sure they have enough depth behind their star players. They made sure they had enough depth on their roster, on the bench side. And they made sure to re-sign Bruce Brown and Blake Griffin. Because those are two guys that will go to the court scrapping for the ball. Scrapping to make sure they're getting... The ball back and to score, and they're also good defenders and they're good offensive players. Um, this is important. And then of course they ex- um, ex- uh, extended Kevin Durant. They're also going to be extending uh, Kyrie Irving and James Harden in the future. They said the John the general manager, Someone within the organization said publicly that they're wanting to do that, that they wanted to keep this big free run uh, more in the future, run together in the future. They want to make sure these guys can actually play more than 13 games in one season. They want to make sure that in this 82 game season, they really electrify it. And what the offseason taught to me about this was the biggest moves they had was Javon Carter, Patty Mills. Uh, Blake Griffin, and Kevin Durant, Bruce Brown. Out of everyone? Yeah, those guys. Those guys outlined it. They focused on their bench. And they start, They fo- They focused mainly on their bench and they focused a little bit on the starting lineup. But to me, what the offseason taught me was that they could never figure out their bench. I think Patty Mills would be good for the bench. Javon Carter would be good for the bench. We'll have to see how The draft players, the drafted rookies uh, play up. But yeah, they they wanted to add veteran. (laughs) They they look as strong as they did last season. Even though they added veteran Patty Mills. But by bringing back Brown and Griffin, they're looking as strong as they were last year. And they could be top favorites as they were picked two months ago. And toughness was added by Carter Johnson and Bembry. You need toughness. You actually do need toughness. Why? Because Kevin Durant, he's huge. He may he may be a little tough, but James harden Kyrie is not tough. And not tough on the corner. Kevin Durant will sometimes scare away. Now, it's not a criticism, but I'm just saying, Javon Carter's more tough than those three men combined. And same with Johnson. Sam Bembry. Um... Now the one thing that I sought, it was a strong offseason. They they made some good moves, they made a lot of moves, but it was capped off by the extension of Kevin Durant. Then what's to the be coming ahead for that big free or the other two members of the big free? But something that I did notice was Jeff Green leaving. May not be as big of a deal as you may believe it to be, but he was a strong force in that postseason, and they could, if they could stagger from that release. Just because when teammates were down and they needed someone to step up, Jeff Green did, and while he did not score as many points as people saw or maybe we're not even thinking of, but he still provided force, still provided to be the body on that court that provided impact and had a great performances when needed out of him. But uh, yeah, the Nets were tricky. They prioritized Bench and then extending the contracts of Kevin Durant and re-signing Bruce Brown and Blake Griffin but I think it was also good they got a lot of red Landry Shaman. Just never worked out. That just never worked out. Javon Carr is really good. I don't like the fact that the Suns got Landry Shaman but I know why we have got Lance Champ because Lance Channel is my Williams boy as he always liked them when they were working in Philly together. But yeah, if I had to give a grade on that, I'll probably give like a B, B plus around there. Um I'll probably give like a 7 out of 10, 8 out of 10, probably 8 out of 10. Um why? Because they made moves. I don't like that they lost Spencer Dinwiddie and Jeff Green. I like the fact they got rid of Chris and Landry. They made some really good uh, moves uh, bench-wise and extending-wise for the starting lineup. I just don't believe that they made too many significant uh, moves to really change those from last season. And they, they honestly decreased a little bit on the bench. They have a weak bench. Besides a few a few men... On that bench, it's a kind of a weak bench, so that's where that's where I'm at right now. That's my grade. I would love to hear your guys' feedback on that. As as the last topic on today's podcast episode, as yeah, that was it. We reviewed the Hawks and the Nets. And if you like to leave feedback, just email us at heat fourteen. At gmail.com or just go to one of our social media links and you'll be able to talk about it there with us on one of our posts or just by direct messaging us on our homepage of that social platform so with all of that being said that was it you know you guys know where to find us that was all of the breakout players of 2021 that we hope to see what the offseason talks about these two teams, which were the Brooklyn Nets and the Atlanta Hawks, and of course our very short, very, very short uh, breaking news section. I was actually wrong. This is actually going a very fast, a uh, very long podcast episode, as like some of the other ones. I saw it because like, it wasn't as much on pen and paper. I just talked a lot. But hey, it worked. We covered a uh, majority of the times like what the breaking news section would be. But I think it was really amazing. I think it was very important to talk about potential breakout stars, breakout players, rather, and what these two teams did in the offseason and how we saw it and how I react reacted. I think that was huge. I think it was fundamental for us to view if we're trying to compare offseasons here or just try to see how offseasons played out. So, without further ado... I'm going to start signing off. This was Joshua Unix, and that's pretty much it. No fancy outro. I'm going to see you guys here again tomorrow morning, Tuesday morning, 8 a.m. Arizona time. See you down on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcast. We'll have it here. And, yeah, we'll just keep on breaking it down. Hoping there's some more breaking news. If not, that's all right. We're going to continue with our series on... What the offseason taught us, as we have 13 teams left to cover in the NBA, I'll have to, no, no, that sounds very wrong. I'll look at it. I'll look at it some more. But without further ado, that is that, and we should be good to roll. So, yeah, thank you guys for watching. I'll see you guys on the next podcast episode.